Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to anybody who's logging into Zoom for the first time tonight. Valentine's Day, so it's kind of like singles night at Against the Stream. (laughs) Or some of you went on your dates or decided to come anyways because you're so uh, committed to being part of the community. And, you know, maybe maybe on Valentine's Day, you'd wanna hear a Dharma talk about love and we're gonna talk about craving tonight. We're at the um, second noble truth. I've been, some of you have been coming since the new year, I've been going over the, the story of the Buddha's life and, and how he came to awakening and how he then formulated his experience of awakening into this core teaching that we refer to as the Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path. And the scene is that he has found his old friends that he was practicing austerity uh, asceticism with, and, and they're hanging out, meditating together in this place called the Deer Park, um, outside of um, Varanasi in northern India. And he's explaining to them his experience of awakening and how they can come to awakening and anybody, any human being can, can wake up and end suffering. And um, last week we went over first normalizing the truth of suffering, that it's a universal, uh, non-negotiable reality from Part of birth, you take birth, you're going to suffer some. And not that uh, the mistranslation of, of Buddhism that has been uh, perpetuated in, in some ways. Uh, some people say the first noble truth of Buddhism is life is suffering. Uh, I don't think that that's, I think that's missing the point. Life is not all suffering. There's a ton of joy and beauty and happiness and Uh, wonderful non-suffering experiences as part of life. But there's also suffering. There's also a lot of uh, difficulties that are just unavoidable. Sickness, aging, death, pain, loss, suffering. Second noble truth is the cause of suffering is the repetitive experience of craving. So we're gonna talk about that tonight and about how all of our suffering is caused by our craving. None of it is caused by external circumstances, not even pain, not even loss. Those aren't causing us to suffer. It's the craving that causes our suffering. So we'll talk about that tonight. So as those of you who come regularly know, it's my um, habit, tradition, to at the beginning of class to try to get you to talk to each other in service of building community, in service of 
we're here to uh, meet other meditators, meet other people who are interested in awakening and, and freeing ourselves from suffering. So I try to give you some prompts in the kind of talk to somebody and connect a little bit. And so tonight's prompt is uh, craving and the, the fact that you have craving and, um, and sharing with each other. I mean, what are, the, what are the big things that you crave? And don't go like ice cream. <laughs> We're not, it's not that kind of craving. It's, it's the kind of craving that you really suffer about. And uh, attachment is craving, clinging, trying to control, trying to avoid, trying to um, intolerance for discomfort, for uh, is craving. You know, do you do you suffer more about craving a pleasanter experience or craving for unpleasant experiences to go away and stay away? Which, you know, which do you suffer more about? Which is harder for you? The absence of pleasure or the presence of pain? Both of them are craving, right? When we meet the absence of pleasure with craving, we suffer. When we meet the presence of pain with craving for it to go away, we suffer about the pain rather than accept it and tolerate it and hopefully eventually learn to meet it with compassion. So what, is, what, do, you, what do you crave? And um, I'll give some meditation instructions, but part of mindfulness is using your mind to uh, investigate and analyze what's happening in the present, in the present and present time experience. So reflect and, and kind of question, investigate how much of what's happening for you that's making you uh, uncomfortable, uneasy, is craving. How much of your experience, how often is your mind telling you some story consciously or unconsciously that you would be happy if you were more comfortable or you were more, your mind was calmer or your emotions were less difficult or, uh, and, you know, because this second noble truth, the cause of all of our suffering is craving, isn't something to believe, but it's something to see for yourself, to come to, you know, take it as a hypothesis rather than a truth. And really check it out in your own direct experiences. Is there any time that you're not totally happy, <laughs> not completely at ease or at peace, where craving is not the culprit? The Buddhist proposal hypothesis truth is that it's always craving that's the problem, the issue, the cause of our unhappiness. Uh, and I'll define more clearly what craving is versus desire. But I think that's important in your meditation too, to look that sometimes you're sitting here and there's some desires arising and passing and it's not a problem and it's not craving and you're not suffering about it. And that's different than when you're sitting here 
watching your breath and your body and your mind and your emotions, and you're not at ease because the story of, I can't be happy until this is gone or something else is happening. I can't be happy with a pain in my knee from sitting still. I can't be at ease with my mind reminding me of the resentments that I've been holding. It's craving for those resentments to go away, for those thoughts to not be present rather than just, oh, yeah, hating again. Big surprise. So check that out in your own experience during the meditation. And find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed. And as you're ready, allow your eyes to be closed. Taking a moment to settle into the upright, relaxed posture. Releasing any places of tension, which can also be physical manifestations of clinging or craving. Soften the brow, the jaw, shoulders, the chest, the belly. This kind of meditation is not a relaxation technique, but being relaxed will help you see more clearly the nature of your own mind. We establish present time awareness here and now. What are you aware of? This human body, heart, mind, this form that hears, awareness of sound. Perhaps you can hear the ringing in your ears a high-pitched tone that is always present. We experience sight, even with the eyes closed, mindful, present-time awareness, what's being perceived. Even with the eyes closed, there's color, shape, Smelling and tasting, nose, tongue, mouth. Bringing awareness to the sense doors, the ways that we perceive the world. And bringing awareness to the mind. What's your mind thinking about right now?
not trying to stop the mind, just observe it, become aware. Thoughts arising and passing. Bringing our awareness down out of the head into the neck and shoulders, the trunk of the body. Bringing awareness to the sensations that are created in the body by the breath, by breathing. You feel the breath more easily at your belly or your chest or nostrils. And try to establish and maintain mindfulness of the breath, the sensations. Know the breath is coming and going. Mindfulness of the present time experience of sitting here in this body, in this present state of mind. Giving your primary attention to the sensations of the breath. As the sounds arise and pass, the thoughts come and go. Try not to get involved in the contents, the stories that the mind is spinning. Let them be in the background.
course, the attention gets drawn back into thinking over and over. Part of the practice is to acknowledge that, name it, thinking. Perhaps investigate, is there some craving involved in what I'm thinking about for the future, the past? And choosing to gently return without judgment, without harshness, just accepting the attention wanders and we return to the present time experience of breath, sitting. And if you're new to the practice, then Let the breath be the primary focus for now. Keep returning, keep disengaging from the contents of your mind, keep coming back to the body, breathing. The Buddha's instructions continued from awareness of the breath to the whole body. Again, opening awareness to the sense doors, seeing and hearing, smelling and tasting. And rather than ignoring the mind, including it including emotions, memories, plans, hope and fear as part of our present time awareness.
the second foundation of mindfulness is to investigate and identify what is being experienced as pleasant, pleasant sensations in your body, pleasant emotions or plans, reminiscing fantasies. Pleasant sounds or images, smells or tastes. What is being experienced in this present moment as unpleasant or painful? In the body, in the heart? at the sense doors and the mind. When we bring our mindfulness to pleasure and pain, likely you'll see craving. Clinging, aversion, fear, anger all manifesting out of our craving. you experience any physical discomfort, bring your attention right into it. Where's the center of the pain? Where are the edges? How does it radiate or throb or vibrate? Is it hot or cold? 
and how much aversion, craving for it to go away, does the nervous system produce?
where we investigate, become aware, awake, the more we realize it's not pain that's the problem, it's our intolerance, our craving for it to go away. It's really creating the stress. It's not the impermanent nature of pleasure. It's the clinging, the repetitive craving for pleasure that's causing our uneasiness, our unhappiness, our suffering. And for the last couple of minutes, investigate, see if you can identify anything in your direct experience that feels neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Perhaps some part of your body, the top of your thighs or the sensation behind your knees or your armpits or some part of the body it's not in pain, but it's also not pleasant sensations. For most, it's challenging to even stay present with the neutral experience because we're so quickly drawn. Quick craving directs us to the pain, to the pleasure. We find neutrality boring, intolerable.
were you able to identify some craving in your meditation tonight the rejection of unpleasant experience the craving for pleasant experience the it'd be really interesting to to deeply investigate your relationship to neutrality can you tolerate the experiences that are not pleasant not unpleasant neither pleasant nor unpleasant have you ever even checked it out usually we're just so quickly drawn towards well that hurts so let me obsess on that or that feels good so let me smoke it let me have cling to it crave for it So here's Siddhartha, freshly enlightened, having gone through his seven years of investigation and what he felt were some dead ends that he met with some spiritual teachers that were just teaching him avoidance techniques and not liberation and coming to his awakening and finding his friends and and trying to explain to them what happened and how mindfulness was kind of the missing ingredient, one of the missing ingredients. And as we talked about last week, you know, and, and I don't know if I can do this every week, but I, I like this image of, you know, the Buddha, you know, the young Buddha first time trying to put into words, this is what happened and this is what we can do. Here's how I ended suffering, and here's how you can do it. And he formulates the Four Noble Truths, and he starts with the normalizing of suffering. And then he says, and the second thing is, and he uses the term, the poly term, uh, he says, the cause of all of our unhappiness, that the issue is, the problem is, and he uses the term tanha. Tanha is the cause of dukkha. Dukkha is the suffering, the unhappiness, the stress, the difficult nature of, of some of our experience. He said the cause, the reason why life is so difficult, why we suffer about it, why we're stressed, why we're unhappy is because of this tanha. And tanha we translate as craving. Tanha more literally translates as something like thirst it's our thirst for pleasure it's our craving for pleasure and primarily and again check this out see if it's true for you primarily he says it's the craving for sensual pleasure sense pleasures pleasant sounds pleasant sights pleasant smells pleasant tastes it's the craving for pleasant uh, sensation, a pleasant mind state. Even how much do we, of that uh, do we bring into our meditation? 
I want my meditation to be pleasant. I crave for my meditation to be pleasant. I want to have some fucking bliss. God damn it. I don't want to sit here planning, remembering, judging, fearing. I want my mind to shut the fuck up so that I can relax. And we bring that same craving to the cushion for it to be different than it is. So he's, he's sitting there and he says, you know, it's, it's tanha. He says, tanha, our thirst for pleasure, our th- manifests, as I'm saying, and we'll explore a little bit tonight, all of the ways that craving for pleasure. And, and we use the term craving, but it's, I often say, you know, it's craving and aversion. Aversion is also craving. So with pleasure, we generally, don't you generally think about like, yeah, I crave for like really pleasant experiences, but you don't think about pain as like craving. You think like, I hate it. I have aversion. But the way, you know, he's saying, no, aversion to pain is also tanha. It's also craving for the pain to not exist to go away, to be more impermanent than it is, less prevalent than it is. It's also craving. He didn't say craving and aversion, but part of craving is aversion, is resistance, is suppression, is avoidance. Why do we avoid? Why do we suppress? Why do we constantly replace? When life gets at all neutral, Why do we go to our phones? Why do we go to the screens, to the books, to we're not very good at being bored. We're getting less and less good at it as a culture. Constantly seeking uh, the dopamine hit, what will give it. And now we all have these, you know, little dopamine devices. You don't have to tolerate any neutrality or boredom. Fucking go on Facebook and fight with some people. (laughs) Go on Instagram and shop. I totally shop on Instagram sometimes. (laughs) They get me. I'm vulnerable. They're like, you really need these Ramones Adidas. I'm like, I do need, I totally do need Ramones Adidas. I didn't even know those existed until just now. And I have to have them. (laughs) And then I ordered them and then they came from China and they're not Adidas. basically spray painted emblems, (laughs) screen printed, whatever. So reflecting on, uh, you know, does this feel true? This simple truth, all of it, every 
form of unhappiness in your direct experience is caused by craving? Now we have to make a distinction as I was alluding to earlier. Um, the next truth is that actually it's possible to end all of the suffering to be completely at ease by ending craving, by radically changing our relationship to craving. So we have to make, in order for that to be true, in order for Buddhism to be true and, and liberation to be possible on whatever level it is possible, there has to be a difference between desire and craving. And I, I know I'm repeating what I said before the meditation, but um, you know, just reflecting in your own experience, the difference between wanting something, but being totally content without getting it. You know that feeling of like, you, how many things did you want today, but didn't get and didn't suffer about not getting, you know, like it's kind of a passing desire, low level, not, not much stress around it. It's like, you know, I was uh, on the freeway earlier and I saw a big, um, you know, car semi full of Teslas. And I said to my girlfriend, I said, I want a Tesla. No suffering about it at all, but just my mind just like, hey, that's cool looking $200,000 car. I want one. I'll never get one, but, I, you know, just a desire and it just passed and I expressed it and didn't suffer about it at all. It wasn't an obsession or a craving. I didn't go onto the website and start looking at how much financing is and, you know, fucking second mortgage on the house. I'll sell two of my motorcycles. I'll fucking get a Tesla. I don't even really want a test. I used to want it. There was a time I have an imprint because there was a time when they first came out where it was like, I need to get a Tesla. Back when I had a little bit of money. Now I'm like, I can't, could never afford it. And I don't even think they're cool anymore. Too many, too many douches and Teslas. No offense, anybody. <laughs> present that is cruising a Tesla. <laughs> there goes my Donna. <laughs> craving. What does craving feel like to you? To me, it's this strong, sometimes unconscious, I'm not even aware of it, but it's this like stressful feeling of like, I can't, I need it. Even just in sitting meditation, that feeling of like, I can't be happy in discomfort. I can't be relaxed in the midst of pain. I need the pain to go away. Not that my mind is consciously saying, I need the pain to go away, but that tension in my gut, that tightness in my jaw, whatever it is, is this craving for it to be different than it is. I can't just be at ease with this. I need it to be different than this. And how prevalent is that sometimes conscious thought where you're really obsessing on something and you really are believing, I can't be happy until I'm in a good relationship, craving for it, regularly stressing about like, I'm not happy single or 
Or maybe you're in the midst of a relationship. You're like, I can't be happy in this relationship. I gotta get out of this one. There's gotta be a better one. Or financially, how much, how much is your craving manifest around money? I don't have enough savings to relax. I need to stay afraid. I need to be stressing and craving for some imaginary, I'd be happy if I had this much cushion. Or some people, if I just had a fucking job, then I'd be cool. Or just had next month's rent. And, you know, looking at how, how does craving manifest sense pleasures, you know, pleasant sounds, smells, tastes, sensuality, sexuality, how much craving needs to be present before you masturbate, before you look at pornography or not look at pornography or whatever it is, your relationship, before you seek a sex partner or connect with your partner or whatever it is. How much of that is coming from desire? Take it or leave it. If it's healthy and appropriate, sure. Or craving where it feels like, eh, might take some risks here. Might not even be so healthy, but I just, so much craving. Lust. What's the difference between your direct experience between desire and lust? Is lust always craving? What I'm proposing is there is there a form of sexual desire that we call lust where there's no craving? It's healthy, it's mutual, it's no suffering about it. You can be pretty relaxed in the midst of this erotic human experience. All of this, you know, and this is where. It's important for us not to, you know, for us to really look deeply at every aspect of our life. How are all of the ways that craving is manifesting and causing us suffering? On some level, I feel like the second noble truth is giving us total personal responsibility. It's saying, this is all in you. It's your craving. Which is kind of bad news. <laughs> it's saying, oh, I have to really look in here and take full responsibility for the craving that's manifesting in my mind, in my body, in my eyes and ears and nose and tongue. I have to really be vigilant around my relationship to pleasure and pain and neutrality because this is where I'm suffering. If I, if I want to end suffering, I have to really be present and see the, the, the craving my and, and change my relationship to pleasure, break my addiction to pleasure, break my addiction to being comfortable. Aversion to pain. I don't know how to say that, but our addiction to not being in pain. 
because pain is unavoidable and we have to learn to be at ease in the midst of pain. There's no happiness to be had in this incarnation if you can't tolerate pain. If you're constantly obeying the nervous system, heart, mind's aversion to pain. It's just, so on some level, huge responsibility that the Dharma is offering us. And maybe I shouldn't say responsibility, I should say opportunity. But it's very empowering in this way, is that actually all of the power is in you. All of the problem is in you. <laughs> it's not anyone else's fault that you're suffering. It's not the world's fault. It's not pain's fault. It's not the impermanent nature of pleasure's fault. It's your craving, your clinging, your attachment, your aversion. It's all in us. The causes of suffering right here. <laughs> no matter what you do, you're not to blame for my suffering. Ultimately, right? And this is a fucking high bar because you could probably pretty easily offend me and hurt my feelings. But my reaction to your words or actions or is on me. Total personal responsibility. My attachment to being seen in a certain way, hurt, you know, uh, that's in me. My aversion to unpleasant uh, people, places, experiences, that's in me. That's in you. So in some ways, huge responsibility, the craving, the truth of the repetitive craving of the human experience. And then the other piece that I love about Buddhism, and I hope it lands like this for you, is that it's also saying, it's not your fault. Craving is universal. Self-centered, fear-based craving is the human condition. It's not just because you're an alcoholic <laughs> or a drug addict or a whatever. It's the human condition. The Buddha comes right out and says, all of it, self-centered, repetitive human craving. So on some level, it's really good news because it's like, oh, it's in here and I can do something about it. Now I have the Dharma, the antidote, the path to ending craving. The fact that it's here, it's not. It's not what most of us were raised with this Western Judeo-Christian, Islamic, monotheistic delusion about being born into sin, about that there's something wrong with us as human beings and that there's some, you know, core 
sinful nature in us that are craving. Like if you were just pure, you wouldn't have craving. Actually, I might go as far as to say it's human craving that created that whole mythology. It's not that religion, you know, that like created our craving or that, you know, you know, even, I, I don't know, I think craving created God personally. Our human craving for meaning, for explain it to me. Why is it like this? Oh, let's just, you know, assign that meaning to God. And then God, well, why do we have so much craving? Oh yeah, because you're born into sin because you're bad, you're rotten, you're defective, you got shortcomings, that's why. Buddhism just comes straight out and says, it's not your fault, it's just the way it is. Now you might ask, I, I'm one of those people who, I ask why, I'm curious, why are we born like this? Buddhism doesn't actually answer it. He says, this is the way it is. He doesn't say, why? He says, just look in your own direct experience. You see the repetitive craving? Unlike, you know, Christian traditions who say, well, it's because you're, you know, cast out of fucking Adam and Eve and all that bullshit. That's why. That's why you have craving. Because you're sinful. The Buddha does it. He just says, it's just the way it is. It's not your fault. It's just the way it is. Now, I would go farther, and this isn't a Buddhist teaching, but I'd go farther. My own view would be evolutionary biology. You want to blame somebody? <laughs> you want to assign you know, blame on why do we have so much craving? Why is this second noble? Evo millions of years of evolutionary biology of a survival instinct that needs to love pleasure and hate pain in order to survive. Nothing to do with morality, nothing to do with spirituality, just biology. And psychology, this big human neocortex, our big brains. that are so amazing. Isn't it amazing to have a brain that can plan and remember and be creative and create music and create art and literature and have intellectual conversations and, and love punk rock and, you know, like uh, intelligence. Intelligence is amazing. But there's this core suffering about our evolved brains, which is that we're all self-centered. The I, me, mine, self-centered human condition fueled by craving for my experience to be a certain way, for my, for to be seen a certain way, to be treated a certain way, to have only pleasant interactions and not unpleasant <laughs> What a setup for suffering. Of course we're suffering with this biology that hates pain, loves pleasure, with this mind that takes everything fucking personal. 
mindfulness is the solution. In order to truly change our relationship to craving, first we have to do what we're doing tonight. And many of you have been doing it for years. You're well on your way to freedom. Some of you are newer and you're still grappling with it and you're checking it out. And, but through turning our attention towards the present time experience and not just what's happening, but how it feels. Mindfulness of pain and our relationship to pain. Mindfulness of pleasure and our relationship to pleasure. Mindfulness of neutrality and our relationship to learning to be at ease to accept the reality that pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral come and go. Trying to create a pleasant experience. How much suffering have you caused so far by trying to create a pleasant experience in your life? And maintain a only pleasant experience. And, you know, um, so many of us have followed that path into the fucking edge of insanity and addiction and incarceration. And so many of us have hit that fucking dead end of like pushing that pleasure button over and over and over and over. until we made our work life almost unbearable because it's impossible. How many times do we have to try to avoid pain, suppress, ignore, intolerate, you know, like this is just intolerable. I can't bear it before we realize like it's pain is unavoidable and it, The good news is like the central culprit. You know, the Buddha says craving is the cause of suffering. And it's not just craving, it's repetitive, that tanha, that thirst, that every time you satisfy it, it's whack-a-mole. Yep, satisfy that one, another one pops up, another one pops up, another one pops up. It's a treadmill. It's a, you know, (laughs) there's no destination. It just keeps going around. Yep, I need more. I want more. I got the Tesla. Didn't work. I got the whatever it was. I need need a new house. Got the house. I need a bigger house. house is too big. (laughs) Maybe I'd be happy if I have a smaller house. Mindfulness, turning towards seeing clearly. He He says it's craving, but it's impermanence on some level is the culprit, right? Because if you could satisfy your cravings and they would permanently satisfy you, that would be, you'd be good. Got the Tesla, I'm happy forever. I got what I wanted and now I'm good. But it's the impermanence 
that no matter what, it's not going to work forever. It'll temporarily work you, right? We've all got the stuff that we want to like have stoked, soaked on the car and the motorcycle and the shoes. Totally worked for weeks sometimes. <laughs> right? I was really excited about that for hours or days or weeks, maybe even months. Or that experience of being single and being like, I really want to be in a relationship. And getting into a relationship. And how long does your honeymoon last? How long is the relationship amazing? Totally in denial of each other's faults. Totally drunk on sex and love. And until, how long is it for you? Like three months, six months? Or you hit that wall and you're like, you're annoying. <laughs> you hurt my feelings. You misrepresented yourself. Whatever, like <laughs> at some point, or they're saying that to you. You're fucking annoying and you misrepresented yourself. Before what was pleasant and we thought this is it, this is it, this is the fucking one. And it's going to be great for ever. <laughs> We're going to fuck every day forever. <laughs> and then some months or years down the line, you're like, yeah, once a week. In the Second Noble Truth, the Buddha said, primarily this uh, repetitive craving comes in the form of sense pleasure. He said also, and this is about impermanence, and it's a little bit Indian philosophical debate that he was having with other spiritual teachers of his, his time. He said also the craving for uh, non-being, non-existence, nihilism, uh, the craving which on some level we see in our aversion to pain. When I'm in pain, I don't want to exist. And sometimes that, that feeling of suicidal, I want to end it. And craving for an end to existence. Now the Buddha's teaching is that there's a reincarnation cycle that's happening fueled by greed, hatred, and delusion. And that if you kill yourself out of hatred for your pain, you're going to take another birth. It's not going to end existence, but it's a craving for non-existence that's saying like, fuck this, I want out. I can't tolerate it anymore. But there's this other suffering of like, imagine that. Imagine if there's some level of consciousness where you are just, you're so unhappy and suffering that you're like, fuck it, I'm going to kill myself. And then you kill yourself and it doesn't work. <laughs> Like, oh, fuck. Rebirth? Adolescence again? <laughs> Puberty and all of the suffering of my next incarnation? And I'm bringing all this karma with me? He said that this craving for 
this to be a material plane where it's lights out is a way that people suffer for non-existence, craving for non-existence. And this is, you know, like we live in, for the most part, you know, I don't know how much of our culture or our country or whatever are eternalists who actually believe in an eternal afterlife. or nihilists, materialists who just believe it. We're fucking worm food. We are meat puppets and this is it, right? Like most of you believe that. Science taught you. There's no soul, there's no afterlife. It's just this one, uh, what do they say? YOLO. (laughs) Fuck it, YOLO. You know what it means? You only live once. YOLO is you only live once, which means, you know, like, you don't take your karma with you, just do whatever you want, because you only live once. Buddhism is like, no low. (laughs) You're gonna live over and over and over, and you're gonna take all that shit with you. Don't be too nihilistic about your behavior in this incarnation because you own that shit. And no matter how much you crave for that not to be true, it might be true. So he said, or craving for eternalism and permanent existence. And part of that is, you know, this sort of diss of the eternalists who say, you know, you live this life and then you have an afterlife forever in heaven or forever in hell or or even the Hindus who are saying you reincarnate forever, this eternal wandering cycle of existence. The Buddha said, we're just here to do our work, to free ourselves from greed, hatred, and delusion. And when you free yourself from greed, hatred, and delusion, until you do that, you're going to come back and have another shot. It's monopoly. You don't pass go. You don't collect $200. You start over. You bring your karma debt bank bank debt with you. But then when you get free, you're off the wheel. You're off the board. You enter the deathless. You don't have to keep reincarnating. So he said this craving for eternalism. I want to live forever. You know, and so on, on the material level, it's, um, it's attachment to youth. Attachments to to, um, I want to be young and healthy forever. And how much are you suffering about aging? Because I want to be eternally young. I want to be sexy forever. And again, uh, you know, what, what if, you know, some of this is about death and what if you have this idea of like, I'm going to heaven. So stoked. I'm going to be reunited with grandma. And then you die and there's no grandma. And there's just another womb. And here I am again, fucking sucking my thumb, shitting my pants with another emotionally unavailable mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Just joking. 
we have a few minutes if there's any um thoughts that you have about craving the second noble truth any clarifications about how mindfulness helps us change our relationship to the repetitive craving and aversion and self-centeredness that causes this suffering please um kind of a two-part question it might be answered with uh, desire versus craving first part um isn't there a certain amount of isn't there a type of craving maybe is a better way to put it that is necessary to the human condition for us to achieve and be motivated and have a good life um does it all is craving only bad or is it is it desire if it's on the other side of that yeah there's two terms and i'm not scholarly enough with poly um the buddhist language but there's a term chanda that translates as um, healthy desire or even passion. And um, it's often talked about as dhamma chanda, dhamma, which means truth. And uh, so the desire for truth and a healthy, passionate drive to awakening. And so, of course, there's healthy desires. And that, that's a huge part of the whole dance we're doing, of that discernment of like uh, the, the second factor of the Eightfold Path. Is this a healthy, is my intention here in this action, in this interaction, in this uh, desire system that I'm, is it positive? Is it healthy? Is it skillful? Or is it more self-centered materialist delusion? So absolutely, there's a healthy form of desire. Desire for, liber you know, for, this is very Buddhist-centric, but desire for liberation, desire to be of service, to help each other, desire to be kind, to be generous, to be um, forgiving, to be uh, create a positive change in the world. But even that, like when we start talking about our spiritual aspirations, you have to look for yourself. Is it a healthy desire? Or are you suffering about it because it's impatience and it's craving and it's, yeah, I want to be free, but I want to be free right fucking now. And I'm tired of meditating. Yeah, I want to be generous, but I'm getting a little tired of being generous. These ungrateful fuckers that are never appreciative, you know, and watching that. No, there's craving, there's clinging, there's, it's not pure altruism. It's not the healthy, you know, it's coming from, a, again, the self-centered craving that sneaks in even to our spiritual aspirations. And that kind of answers, I think, the second half too, which is a lot of times, is, you know, I think our, our uh, craving is more obvious as an addict, right? Uh, what we, the direction we've gone. Yeah. And a lot of addicts, including myself, have, uh, replace things with exercise and diet and things like that that are positive but then you can start to crave those things too that are positive mm -hmm. or like you know the, the example of go to AA meeting everybody's guzzling coffee you know um is that if i crave exercise i guess i it's still that fine line between how how do i handle it in my life that's the question um if it's healthy don't worry about it too much 
is my sense. You know, like this, some, some smart ass will be like, well, aren't you addicted to meditating? There's a, there is a such thing as a healthy dependence. There's an unhealthy craving and, and dependence on, as we experience as addicts, but there's also like, yeah, meditation is a central thing to healthy to be dependent on. Relationships, community, sangha, fellowship, it's a healthy thing to be dependent on. Exercise, there's a place, there's a healthy balance with exercise, right? And there is an unhealthy self-harm that some people get into where they're overdoing it and they're hurting themselves. But, you know, a balanced, regular uh, exercise routine, healthy, great for you. Um, you know, as, as addicts, as humans, you know, m- many of us aren't very good at balance and at non-attached appreciation and non-attached relationship to, even with your meditation practice, of course, meditate every day. But if you miss a day, don't suffer about it. Don't be so attached to your form that you're angry at your spouse because they interrupted your meditation. There's more clinging, more kind of, you gotta wear it all loosely. Wear it all. Yes, I'm committed to this. And I'm also trying to be flexible and accepting of what is. Now, so Dhamma Chanda, the desire for liberation for is a great thing to have. And it'll probably be there. It's kind of the fuel. Uh, some, sometimes the image is used that samsara, this, this realm of existence is like a, uh, a large stream that we have to cross, that we have to go against the stream. We have to get, you know, or this ocean of samsara, of suffering, and we have to get to the shore, the other shore. Probably it's that desire, that healthy dhamma chanda, that even sometimes it's craving that's going to get you on the cushion, that's going to get you to sangha, that's going to get you to be of service, to get out of your self-centeredness and be generous. And, and it's going to be the last tether at some point in your path to awakening. It will no longer be craving. It will become... The first level of enlightenment, one of the things the Buddha says happens is that you will no longer be attached to the rites and the rituals of your spiritual practice. No longer uptight or attached to being a Buddhist. You'll be real fucking relaxed about it. Doesn't mean you won't keep meditating. Doesn't mean you won't hold the five precepts. It doesn't mean you're gonna be so relaxed that you're unethical. You're just not gonna be uptight about it. It's no longer clinging to the kind of religious identity of whatever your spiritual path is. It's real normal. Enlightened people are real normal. They're not. uptight, you know, spiritual people, they're real relaxed about it. Hope that's helpful. Any questions at home? We have a couple more minutes. No, y'all good? Um, There's one in the chat now. Oh, there is, okay, let me look. In the chat, it says, 
how do we determine what's healthy and appropriate? Or how do we decide what is considered an addiction or suffering or a craving? Couple of reflections on that. One is that um, I can't answer that question. <laughs> but that you can answer that question. Each, it's a great question, it's an important question, but we have to be our own internal uh, discernment to see, is this, am I suffering about it? Am I clinging to it? Am I, am I is this feel balanced? And, and maybe the, the first part of it is um, healthy and appropriate. If it's healthy and appropriate, suffering is the litmus test right? In this Buddhist conversation. So if it's healthy and appropriate, you won't be suffering about it. That doesn't mean it won't be unpleasant sometimes, but it won't be clinging, craving, suffering about it. Um, if it's an addiction or suffering or a craving, again, if you're suffering about it, you're clinging, there's craving there. You will see if you look closely, if there's suffering, where there's, what is it? Where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> where there's suffering, there is clinging and craving. Whether or not you're addicted to something, you have to just look and see, am I suffering about it? Is this a repetitive cycle that's causing me harm? Causing other people harm? Then it's, you know, that's the, my definition of addiction, a repetitive compulsive thing that, that is harmful in a way that like, you know, exercise doesn't necessarily, it's a repetitive thing, but it's not necessarily harmful. Meditation, repetitive thing, generosity, kindness, service, repetitive thing, but it's not causing any harm to you or anyone else, hopefully. Healthy activities. Okay, so we'll leave it there for tonight. Next week, we will have the teachings on enlightenment, the Buddha's third noble truth, nirvana. And um, that'll be interesting. So if you want to get enlightened, come next week. <laughs> Classes done against the stream is a nonprofit organization. Um, Obviously, I don't charge for the classes. It's a very conscious and intentional Buddhist tradition to not charge for the teachings, but to make the teachings available to everyone, uh, regardless of ability to financially uh, pay or, or participate. But the way that this thing works and has worked in Buddhism for 2,600 years is that the teachings are offered freely and the community supports the teacher and the center. Um, so it's donation-based. And you can donate at the front desk. If you're on Zoom, you can donate um, through the link in the chat, through the website. And take the generosity practice, you know, and even look at the craving, look at the clinging. I had a friend who used to say like, what a cool practice it would be to just like, have a handful of $5 bills and give one and really check in, how does that feel? And give a second $5 bill and how does that feel? Does that feel generous? And watch the craving, watch the clinging, a third one, a fourth one. And at some point being like, ah, 25 is too much. That doesn't feel good. I'm not that, I'm broke. But 20 feels good or 15 feels good or 10 feels appropriate for you at this point in your kind of financial 
life, you know, where you're at in your econ economic uh, abundance. So please don't be mindless about the donation, be mindful about I'm giving this intentionally with this intention to support the center, to support the Dharma, to support me as a Dharma teacher, and for these teachings to continue to be freely offered through your participation, your, your generosity. Um, couple of retreat opportunities coming up May, I think it's 27th or something like that. Memorial Day weekend registration is open for the Joshua Tree three-day silent meditation retreat. If you're not signed up yet, get signed up. Uh, against the stream, we'll also have a seven-day retreat in October, a longer silent retreat. I haven't put registration up for that yet. Refuge Recovery also has a few things coming up. There's a refuge recovery three-day camp out in June up in Big, Big Bear, and it's the eighth anniversary of the Buddhist recovery, refuge recovery program, um, and that's up in Big Bear. There's a seven-day refuge recovery retreat in April uh, if you are trying to do a, 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 a retreat soon. That retreat is uh, full. It's sold out, but we keep getting cancellations. So if you're somebody who thinks, oh, I could really go sit for seven days, that one's in New Mexico. Um, you might be able to get in on the wait list since it sold out real quick. And now people, it's getting closer and people are going like, I can't actually go for seven days in a <laughs> silent retreat um, for whatever reasons in their life. So any, lots of opportunities. Retreat is an amazing way to deepen your relationship with craving. So yeah, please, Monica. One day one. Yeah, the next day long for Against the Stream is in April. I think it's April 15th or something like that. And how do we sign up for those? On the website. They're on the Against the Stream site. Oh, okay. I saw only one of them where you can buy them as groups. No, the individual should be up. Oh, okay. And if it's not, let me know and I'll make sure, but it should be up. Yeah. Okay. May any goodness that comes from our practice be offered outward in all directions, shared with all living beings. May each one of us get free from the causes of suffering and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thank you and uh, see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.